about what we give our time, attention, and love. We enjoy sharing and following friends, family, colleagues, and inspirational leaders aligned with our passions and interests in a hyper-connected world. We're all about tribes. We join tribes that speak to us and align with our vibe. In Tribe Goals, we share time with key lifestyle and industry change makers as they share some of their inspirations, thinking, and flow with their communities. We'll see how they started and grew their tribe, as well as which they have joined and how that has fueled them. I'm your host, Kimmy Smith, and we'll navigate our favorites in our show, Tribe Goals. On today's episode of Tribe Goals, we chat with our latest cover star of Athleisure Mag, which took us to Ocean City, New Jersey, to catch up with Marty Smith of ESPN's SEC Nation, College Game Day, and Marty and McGee, right before college football starts. After a shoot that took us to some of his favorite spots, I sat with him in his vacation home to talk about when Marty fell in love with sports, and specifically, college football. We talked about his baseball days and transitioning into sports journalism and broadcasting from NASCAR.com to a number of contributing and hosting positions at ESPN. In addition, this impactful storyteller not only shares moments in his career from Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. to Cristiano Ronaldo and Tiger Woods, but also his new book, Never Settle, Sports, Family, and the American Soul. So what was the moment that you knew you fell in love with sports? I would have to say I was a a young boy, and my father was infatuated with the Pittsburgh Steelers back in the steel curtain days of the Joe Green and Terry Bradshaw and Franco Harris and those immortal, immortal Steelers teams, Lynn Swan and and John Stallworth and all those guys. And so I was a little boy, and I would sit with my daddy and watch the Steelers and my mama used to say that even as a four year old I would be like that was a hold or that was a clip or that you know I'd call out penalties Mm -hmm. before they had the flags were thrown and whatnot I that that's when I kind of knew was this way it felt just being in my father's aura that way Mm -hmm. and then I grew up in a a small farming community in southwestern part of Virginia and all we had was ball. Yeah. We played everything. And we were always outside. There was no sitting inside. My parents were like, get your ass out there <laughs> and do something. And don't come back until dark. Right. And so football, basketball, baseball, we played all the time. And I love to compete. I can to see this that. very second, I love to compete. And that feeling of competition and that feeling of grinding your way to noticeable improvement against competition mm-hmm. is something that's intoxicated me forever. So wow. I knew real young mm-hmm. that I was going to be a sports guy. So can you share what your sports background was, like sure. what you played and how far you went? From, from four years old through my freshman year of college, I was an athlete. And I started with baseball as a little peewee league guy. And and then when I was in fourth grade, I started playing Pop Warner football. Mm. The same year, I started playing little league basketball. So from fourth grade all the way through my senior year of high school, I played all three of those sports. And I played year-round. Mm-hmm. I played football from August until the wintertime, until, you know, December. Mm-hmm. From December until April, March or April, I played basketball. Mm. And then I played baseball all the, for, for my school teams till school was over or the season was over. And then I played either rec league baseball or American Legion baseball all the way through the summer. Wow. And then we did football again. Mm-hmm. So I never stopped playing ball. Wow. And, um, I, again, I grew up in a small community, so my buddies that were my teammates, mm-hmm. they're, I went to school with them. They're still my boys today. I wow. Mean, my best childhood friend since I was four years old, basically, is the Tampa Bay Rays athletic trainer. Oh, How wow. weird is that? Wow, we grew up in this tiny cool. little town of of very few people. Everybody were farmers or a blue-collar community, and he and I both made our way out to pro sports. Pretty crazy. 
Wow. So what was that moment when you realized that either A, did you attempt to pursue anything professionally in the sports you were playing? I wasn't good enough. So when I got to college, I went to a small college in East Tennessee first. It was a Division II school athletically called Carson Newman. Mm -hmm. And they had a really good baseball program. So I went there to play baseball. I stayed there one year. And then I transferred over to Radford University, from which I graduated, and thought that I would easily make the baseball team. Right. No question in my mind. I had I had no doubt. So I went, and uh, they had a, a kind of a walk-on tryout. They asked me to participate in that. I went and did that. Hit like, uh, threw it okay. I, I was a middle infielder. Okay. Um, didn't have a great tryout. So the coach who knew about me in high school, I grew up right around the corner, Yeah, was like, man, I don't think you're good enough. Wow. And they didn't, they didn't allow me to play. And so I will tell you this. God is funny. I was so devastated yeah. in that moment because I don't care if you are passionate about sports. I don't care if your ceiling is high school. I don't care if your ceiling is college. And certainly for guys like Peyton Manning or Drew Brees or Tom Brady or these guys, the elite of the elite at whatever their passion is athletically, when it's time to be done, you lose your whole identity. Because my whole identity, my whole life was athlete yeah that was my identity and because truth told i was a pretty good one in high school Mm -hmm. in the area in which i grew up i had a decently celebrated career we won state championships as teams we you know we had that kind of talent where i came from and i started in all three and was um all whatever yeah in those sports and so that was my identity and so when i lost baseball i'm not kidding y'all there was a level of depression that i did not anticipate i've never been a guy who's down i'm unstoppable that's how i'm wired and i was stopped And I knew a girl that dated a buddy of mine, and she came in one day. She said, you know what you need to do? You need to get off your ass, and you need to come with me to the sports information office, and you need to work because you have such a wealth of knowledge. I'm like, I ain't going in there taking stats. (laughs) I play them. I don't know. And after a substantial pity party, I got up one day, and I said, all right, man, let's see what happens. Went in there, fell in love with being around it again. Some of my best college friends were guys who played baseball, guys who played basketball, because the sports information department gave me substantial responsibility immediately. Yeah. As a sophomore, I ran around with the baseball team, took their stats, etc. As a junior, they handed me women's basketball. I traveled with the women's basketball team on top of my class load. Then, I got the greatest break you could ever ask for. I was offered a stringer position by the Roanoke Times, which is the major regional newspaper in the area in which I grew up, covering high school sports, Mm -hmm. the local NASCAR short track, etc. And that's when I realized I'm going to write for a living. That's what I'm going to do. Wow. And as as a senior... I got to cover Virginia Tech football as a stringer for the Washington Post. That's insane. On top of my class load. So all these people believed in me. And I I will tell you this. Had I not gotten cut, I don't even know if gotten cut is fair. Had I made the Radford baseball team, I wouldn't be sitting here with you right now. Guaranteed. Because I wouldn't have had to make that shift in focus that I had to make because I wasn't playing anymore. Wow. How about that? That's, I mean, you've had so much in your career prior to ESPN. So what was that journey? Like, you know, I know you were with NASCAR.com for a while, which is just amazing. So much of my career goes back to people who believed in me. And in that book, 
they, they wanted me to do the dedication page. Mm-hmm. Who do you dedicate this to? And my my all I wrote was for the believers. Mm. Most notably, Lainey, Cameron, Mia, and Vivian, my nuclear family, wife and children. But so many people have believed in me. From coaches to mentors to all the way down to, to people who work at, at ESPN who don't have to take the time to offer you guys this opportunity, to pitch you this opportunity, but they believe enough in me that they're doing that. And when I was, when, when that believer, a guy named Ray Cox, who writes for the Roanoke Times even still, he covered me in high school. So when I wasn't playing anymore, he was like, what? Yeah. So... He was like, I want. I saw him at a bat, Bradford basketball game. He's like, I think you need to be writing for me. You have this this factor that you're so relatable to people, and that you are you connect to people in a way that you need to be writing. So I went and started covering high school sports. Like I said, that led to the local short track called New River Valley Speedway at the time. And I was a NASCAR guy as a kid because my daddy liked it. But my favorite driver was Davey Allison. Davey died in a helicopter crash. I stopped loving the sport in that moment. My passion was re... I mean, it was like lighting a bottle rocket when I went back to that short track. And I went and I told her, I know what I'm going to do. I know what my path is. NASCAR's my way. That's the fastest way to get to pro sports. I covered it for the Lynchburg News in advance. I had a job that may not even exist anymore. I made 12-8 in my first job out of Radford. I bought her engagement ring with it. You talk about broke as joke, dude. <laughs> and I started chasing race cars. And I'll never forget sitting in the Richmond International Raceway garage sitting on the pit wall watching these cars go by. Wow, Dale Earnhardt. Wow, Rusty Wallace. Wow, Jeff Gordon. I'm like, holy smokes, that's really them. Yeah. I'm on this side of the track. I'm inside the track. And I can walk out there and talk to them if they'll give me the time of day. Mm-hmm. Couldn't believe it. Worked there for one year. During that time, I wrote a story on a guy named Paul Brooks who was from that town. His mother called me and said I needed to do the story. I thought it was Jim Bob Jordan, the street stock driver down the street. Paul had been elevated to the vice president of NASCAR. Called Paul. We hit it off. He liked the story. He sent me some desk furniture. 50th anniversary of NASCAR, like a business card holder. Wow. A uh, uh, thing you put the pins in, you know. In the very bottom of the box was his stationery. His email was on it. I emailed him, get me the hell out of here. I'll clean toilets in Daytona Beach, Florida if you get me out of here. I got big aspirations, got big dreams. You can help me get there. They didn't have any job. A few months later, a guy quit NASCAR.com. He called me, come to Charlotte to interview. If you're good enough, you'll get the job. I got the job. Made it to 20 grand. But now I'm traveling around the country, man. I went to San I went to San Francisco, man. I went to Napa, California, and I got to cover race cars. Worked there until 05, ESPN called. Hmm. They were coming back into the business of NASCAR in 07. They had started putting together their ancillary. They put together the whole broadcast team. Yeah. I was going to be in the ancillary part, Sports Center. We had a show called NASCAR Now, etc. Mm-hmm. Which I love that show. It was a great show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a great show. And so, Jack Obringer, this is all in the book. Jack Obringer, the guy who called me, he's still at ESPN now, one of my greatest believers. He said, Everybody I talk to says your name. Everybody says, you know the drivers, you know what's going on in the sport. And I laughed. I said, hey, man, I'm so flattered you called the wrong guy. There's a guy named Marty Snyder who's a great broadcaster. I'm sure that's who you meant to call. He laughed out loud. No, you're the guy. This isn't a job offer. Think about it. I go home and I tell Lady, I'm like, you ain't going to believe this. I think ESPN wants me to come work there. I'm a guy that would rather crash and burn and fail knowing I can't. Then wonder 20 years from now sitting on that porch if I could have. Yep. So I took the job. The first time I was really on television was Sports Center. You believe that? 
there are local reporters who are so talented. They work their asses off. They set up their own camera shots and and dreaming of that chance. Yep. And I was afforded that chance immediately. And that's never lost on me. I'm so appreciative. And from there, the company let me grow. They let me make mistakes. They let me look like a... I needed a lot of work. <laughs> and... I, my story is just really unorthodox because I was sports centric for seven years. Yeah. Really, eight. If you could. 07 to 14, those eight NASCAR seasons, I got to grow and learn my voice. Mm-hmm. And ESPN afforded me that voice, and nobody once has ever asked me to change it. They've never asked me to try to lose this accent because I've always maintained you can be Southern and articulate at the same time. And it worked because I was covering NASCAR. Right. And then we lost NASCAR. So you're like, okay, what now? Yeah. Do I do I pursue another network maybe? Do I bet on myself again? And I went home and told her, you know what? I think I need to bet on myself again. I'm ready to see what's out there. So I signed my third ESPN contract, which was 15 to 18, and bet on myself. Mm-hmm. And my career, my career has been beyond every every fantastic dream I ever could have had. I mean, you've covered so many different sports for yep. the network. Yep. How? How do you prepare yourself when you're, you know, trying to figure out, well, this is what the NFL is, and this is what college football is? Like, is it all the same for you? Like, No. I'm, a, I'm voracious about study. Um, I'm voracious about preparation and reading and listening, and I am things that intrigue me. I put them all in a document, and then I take that document and pare it down. And then I study that document. Like, let's say, pick pick an athlete, whether it's whether it's Tiger Woods. Mm-hmm. Let's just take Tiger Woods because he's Tiger. When I got the opportunity to interview Tiger, I I studied so hard and I watched so much, and I probably had a forty question list. I pared that down to fifteen. And then I studied those 15 until minutes before I was sitting across from him and I crumpled up the paper and threw it away because I want to have a conversation with you. The best interviewers listen Mm -hmm. because the best questions are more often than not, why, how, when, how did that come to be? What was your passion? Mm -hmm. And... That was most certainly the case with him. Like, do you want, can I tell you how I got there? Yeah. 2012, I think it was, I interviewed Jeff Gordon for the NASCAR Countdown pre-race program. And I had this specific angle. I had this thing I wanted out of Jeff. And I kept inter- interrupting him. <laughs> During the interview to try to keep him on task. Mm-hmm. And... and and it worked for what I was sort of after, but after the race before which it ran, which was New Hampshire, after that race, like I was so proud of myself, you know, I'd gotten this interview with Jeff Gordon, man, four-time champion, 80-plus wins, mm-hmm. and after the race, I went out to interview Dale Jr., who is like my brother. We are brother we've been through that wow. we've been through it together we interviewed him a few years ago the He's highest amazing. of highs yeah. and the most crushing of lows we've walked it together mm. and i get out to his car and he like wrecked or whatever and i'm he's kind of you know they always go around looking at their car and all the little dings in them and he turns around and he goes and i went there's you know 15 20 reporters there and i was like he goes i'm like me he goes come here so I walk over to him. I'm like, what, dude? You, what? He goes, come here. Pissed at you. I'm like, what? <laughs> he takes me to the entrance of his truck, the truck that carries the race cars. He goes, you need to stop interrupting people. I went, what? He goes, I watched that interview with Jeff. 
I wanted to hear some of his, I want, some of the things he was saying. I wanted to, I wanted to hear what he had to say. You kept interrupting him. He looked like an asshole. Stop interrupting people. And I was so mortified. Like he cut me to the quick. He cut me. And do you want to know that it was the single greatest advice I've ever gotten in this job? Mm-hmm. I completely changed my interview approach. I let people expound upon their thoughts and thereby be able to tell me their story rather than trying to conjure something that you desire. Right. And he, like, I tell that story sometimes when he's around. He's like, damn, let it go. I'm like, no. You changed me, and only a friend, like only a real dude, does that. Mm-hmm. You're on this high. Most dudes would be like, "Hey, man, good job. That was cool." Yeah. He was like, "Nope." You need to stop interrupting people. And wow. I'm forever grateful to him for that. So anyway, that's what I do. I study, 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 mm-hmm. and I throw it away because I want to hear you. I want to be immersed with you. And that has, it has treated me, proven very successful for me. Wow. So what are all the shows that you're on on ESPN? I know, like, it's like... Um, a, a lot of them. A sports Center, mm-hmm. College Game Day, SEC Nation, Get Up, Marty <laughs> McGee, which is such an, a fascinating study. Mm-hmm. Because it's, Marty and McGee is a... Southern culture program almost more than it's a sports program and we were afforded there was a lady named Sharita Johnson and Sharita for a time kind of ran the podcasting empire at Aspen that digital arm and I I kind of cold called her one day this was way back in like 12 or 13 and I said Sharita hi my name's Marty I have a proposal for you. I, I have a buddy named Ryan McGee, and she goes, I know Ryan. We were PAs together. I was like, okay. Well, he and I kind of cover NASCAR racing together, and we feel like there's a void. We feel like ESPN could produce a really cool piece of content with a podcast. We would be willing to go to a studio so you didn't have to hire a bunch of people. And we'd just like to do a, a, a podcast about NASCAR. If you'd let us. And she was like, I don't know. I don't know if there's a market for it. She goes, tell me a story. Okay. So 45 minutes later, I'm, I'm telling her all these stories about Dale Earnhardt and Dale Jr. and Jimmy Johnson and whatever. She goes, you're so passionate. Let me just ask. They green light it. The bosses enjoy the, 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 the magic of Marty McGee's chemistry. Yeah. We're buddies, and we've been buddies for 20 years. And that's the magic of Marty and McGee. Well, it went to a live radio show on Saturday afternoons, and then a few years ago they moved us to 7 a.m. on Saturdays. I told him, son, our lives just changed. Yeah. Because this is when everybody's going to get to donuts. Exactly. This is when they're taking Junior to baseball. Like, It's huge. It changed everything. Wow. Then, last year, they decide... These coaches in the Southeastern Conference, we just kind of bore them. Like, we need something to engage them in a different way. We want you two to make it happen. Okay. What should your set look like? I'm like, I don't know, a card table, an American flag, and like an eagle soaring by? I don't know. They built us. Have you seen our set? Yeah. The coaches come in. They're immediately disarmed. We're laughing out loud with them. We're getting te- like Nick Saban talking about his dad. Nick Senior had tears in his eyes. So they give us a weekly show on SEC Network, which this fall moves to Wednesdays, so as so to, as to ensure that it's not preempted by soccer or or a live program. Yeah. We don't even know what to make of it. We're floored. What's it like for you to juggle all of these shows with just the current schedule before uh, even putting in your book and everything else that's going on? It's a lot, and I'm afforded I'm afforded the the ultimate blessing, which is a patient, immersed, passionate, loyal partner 
who appreciates all of this mm-hmm. and understands all of this and af- allows me to chase the dream. Uh, I can't wait for people to read about Laney in the book because they're going to see what a phenomenal soul. In this life, we meet people who are more successful. We meet people who might not have as much. We meet people who are more beautiful. We meet people who um, are, are just the most blue-collar, down-home. We meet people who grow up in the city. All of that. All walks of life. Very rarely do you meet innate grace. Yeah. Laney has it. She has innate grace. And I, there is no way in hell that I could have this career, this life, have met these people that I've been so fortunate to meet if she w- didn't have that personality. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, it's, um, I thank her every day. So specifically during the college football season, what is your week like for that? Like- we work every day. We work every day. And... So, basically from tomorrow until mid-January, we are gas on the throttle doing college football. And even on days off, you're prepping. Yeah. On days off, you are reading, you're calling around, you're texting around, you're talking to coaches, you're talking to uh, sports information people, in some rare cases, players. Um to make sure that you, you are, if not even ahead of the game, you're at least in the game. Yeah. Um, and so you go you go hard as hell, man. And I love every second of it. Well, who are you looking forward to interviewing this season from the college football side? Like, what's yeah. on your, like, all right, these are my three things I'm really pumped about. Uh, I feel so... I mean, I'm blessed beyond what I deserve. We have a host and reporter who is among the most talented television professionals I've ever seen. Her name's Laura Rutledge. Mm -hmm. Laura makes all this look real easy. It's not. And she makes it look so simple. And she is going to have her first child this fall. Mm -hmm. And... As a result of that, she'll go on maternity leave and, and miss a portion of the season. And uh, while she's away, she's the host of a show called SEC Nation. Which I'm a fan of. And it's a phenomenal show. Tebow and, and Spears and Paul Feinbaum are the panelists. They're all great friends of mine already. Uh, Tim is like a brother to me. And, and in the book, I, his influence on me is dramatic. And, and that's a whole other story. But... So when Laura's on maternity leave, I'm going to get to host that show. Mm. And when ESPN called me and told me this, my initial reaction was euphoria, but it was also, uh, you know I've never done that before. Right. You know that that's something that I'm going to have to learn. And they were like, we understand all that. Your passion is what we need. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I am, I cannot wait. A live atmosphere with a live audience in the Southeastern Conference with those three guys and a producer in Baron Miller, who is a brother to me anyway, who has this unbelievable artistic vision and this unbelievable passion. How beautiful. To, to help guide us through. I cannot wait for the energy exchange. My best friend always says, Eric Church always says, there is going to be an energy exchange tonight. There's going to be my energy, and there's going to be your energy, and I'm going to give it every last damn ounce of everything i got. And if you give it back to me, we're going to have a moment mm-hmm. that's going to live forever. Yeah. I get to drive that moment, mm-hmm. and I can't wait. I cannot wait. Wow. Uh, 
Tebow, man. Spears. Like, I don't like it's like, like such a nice like synergy. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> gonna be fun. And again, I'm not Laura. Mm-hmm. I'm not as talented as Laura. I'm not nearly as polished as Laura. Nor am I as polished as Joe Tessitore, the first gentleman who hosted that show. Mm-hmm. Or Maria Taylor, who also hosted that show. They're better broadcasters than me. But I'll never be out passion. Mm-hmm. I can control three things every day, Kenny. Okay. I can control kindness, effort, and passion. And if I max those out, I'm going to be all right. And I'm maxing in every single facet of my life. Fatherhood, husbandry, mm-hmm. professionally, friendships. There ain't nobody ever going to be able to say I didn't leave it all out there when the Lord calls me home. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I mean... I've read a lot of your articles and, and watched you, and I love your passion and storytelling when Thank it comes you. to sports. And um, being someone who grew up in Indiana, being a Hoosier, going to Indiana University, and Bobby Knight's last year was uh, uh, while I was still in college, which was like a phenomenal situation. And in Indiana, you have this concept of life is sports and sports is life. And yes. when college basketball happens, there's just such a feeling that comes through, and I equate so much to it just in every part of my life. And so why does college football have that feeling for you, that you're so passionate about it? I was discussing this this morning. There's a country artist named Justin Moore, and I've known Justin uh, his entire career now. This is his fifth album he's putting out this week, and he's only 35. He's having a tremendous career. And he grew up in a little town called Poyen, P-O-Y-E-N, Poyen, Arkansas. Mm. And the Arkansas Razorbacks are their protein. Mm. I grew up 20 miles west of Virginia Tech's campus on a cattle farm. The Virginia Tech Hokies are our protein. They are also our identity. They also brought a national brand to a farming community. Because of Frank Beamer's Virginia Tech Hokies, Blacksburg is known in Seattle, it's known in Spokane, it's known in California, it's known in Clearwater, Florida, it's known in Bangor, Maine. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows Blacksburg because of those football teams. Well, when I was a kid, we didn't have a whole lot when I was real young. And my daddy worked all the time, and I didn't get to be around him a ton. He was this mythical, kind of mysterious figure to me. But there were some Saturday mornings when he'd come wake me up and say, boy, get dressed, we're going over the mountain. And I knew that meant we were going to watch Virginia Tech football. And it was bad football. It was 0-8, you know, 0-10, 1-9, 2-8, because Coach Beamer was still laying those foundation bricks to the amazing legacy he, he built. But I got to go there with my daddy, and I got to have a fountain coke, And I got to have his attention, and I got to feel his love and hope he felt mine. And we got to watch Virginia Tech play football. And to this second, I feel closer to him in Lane Stadium Mm -hmm. than I feel anywhere else. I lost Daddy in 08. Mm -hmm. He died in 08. And when I go back there, I feel closer to him than anywhere else. And... So my passion for it is so much deeper than simply the game. Yeah. It's this father-son connection. It's this family connection because so many little college towns take their identity from those athletic programs. Absolutely. Just like Bloomington does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I get to go in on Saturdays and Fridays and Saturdays in the fall and I get to be that with those people whether that's Tuscaloosa, Alabama Baton Rouge, Louisiana Blacksburg, Virginia Columbus, Ohio Ann Arbor, Michigan those towns are those schools Mm -hmm. and I get to live it hell they pay me for it (laughs) you're like promise (laughs) it's unbelievable to me with such a busy schedule you have a book coming out August 6th Mm -hmm. Never Settle why did you want to come up with this book? What is it that you hope that your fans and just other people who are interested in this, this just this feeling that you get when you're talking about your life and sports, like why and how did that all come together? I've wanted to write a book for a really long time, and 
It's funny, I wasn't ready. Until I got the deal, I wasn't ready. I didn't have enough life experiences until last year. I got... So, back to Tiger. I interviewed Tiger. And, of course, I put a picture of, of us on the gram. Mm-hmm. Got to do it for a gram. Of course. <laughs> and I came home that evening, and my son has a little YouTube channel. And we were skateboarding. And I said, you know what, man? Let's go down this hill. And I'll be on my board, and you'll be skating on your board, and I'll kind of get crouched down and get a cool shot with my phone for you. I put that on my Instagram story. And this publisher saw it. And I was blown away by that. Long story short, the next thing you know, I'm meeting with this gentleman. It was a guy named Sean Desmond at 12 Books, my publisher, in New York City. Avenue of the Americas, man. Like, wow, country boy comes to town, you know. And he talked about how his little boy, who is 12, is fascinated by all the stuff I get to do. And then he saw that, and he was intrigued. Like, how's this guy interviewing Tiger Woods in the morning and hanging with his son in the evening? And he's like, I want you, I want that. I want whoever that guy is. And so he wanted my family in the book. He wanted Laney. He wanted husband Marty in the book. He wanted father Marty in the book. He wanted me to be so vulnerable. And he wanted Tiger, and he wanted Nick Saban, and he wanted Cristiano Ronaldo in Shanghai and Beijing. He wanted all of these experiences. He wanted me throwing a post pattern on the White House lawn. Thank God the Secret Service has a sense of humor. (laughs) It's all in the book. Wow. And I actually did that. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) We're stupid, man. I'm like, wow. So... He wanted all of that, and he pushed me throughout the writing process. He pushed me. Show me, don't tell me. Hmm. You're telling me a good story. Show me a good story. And I loved that advice because it demanded of me to take another another layer of veneer off. Yeah. And I, again, I have so many friends who are artists, musical artists, and they've told me throughout time that anything worth its salt is vulnerable but with that vulnerability comes a very unique emotion mm-hmm. because you're putting this this layer of yourself out into in this energy out into the world and you have to be okay with whatever comes back good or bad because you you've given your you've given this and holy crap it's giving me anxiety she's like why and that was always my response to my friends you know it's good why because you're like putting this you're putting this part of yourself out there and above all I know it's relatable and I know it's vulnerable and so I think it'll sing. I think a lot of people will go, wow, I see myself in that. I discuss things like the primal sorrow of losing my mom when I was bare, like barely an adult. She had breast cancer. She died at 47 years old. My sister turns 47 in February. So Stacy, my sister's name is Stacy. We've been kind of going back and forth about what that's like because... When you're 21, you don't realize how young 47 is. Mm -hmm. And then when you're 43, you think, she hadn't even gotten started yet. And I'd give anything, anything, to be able to, she would be tickled. She, like, she would be the coolest grandmother to these little people that we have running around my son has Tourette and so there's a lot that comes with with Tourette and his tics and how people react to that he's used to people staring at him he's only recently middle school's hard and he's only recently gotten to a, a place where pe- other kids just sometimes aren't nice and my mother 
Back to that innate grace, I've never met anybody who was more godly than my mom. My mom raised a lot of kids, and I only have one sibling, mm. and she raised a lot of kids. I have a lot of buddies that she was their mama, too. And so anyway, I wish she was here to see all this and be that be that for my, my kids and anyway there's a there's like I go all the way into that primal sorrow and I write it in that way that's really really raw hmm. so it's a hell of a it's a hell of a thing and I hope people I hope people feel themselves in it there's a, a, a football coach that's a, a I've become very close with named Barry Odom he's head coach in Missouri Missouri Tigers and he wrote me the nicest text the other day. The fourth chapter of the book is about one of the most impactful people of my life. And it was a Special Olympics athlete that I chronicled back in 15. Her name's Olivia Quigley. And it's all in, it's all in there why she was so important to me. But Barry read that chapter. I sent him an advanced copy. Mm-hmm. He's like, dude, you're... I knew you were pretty cool on TV. This is you. You need to do this. Wow. This is this is changing lives. So that was very kind of him to say. How long did it take for you to put the book together? Like, what was that process like? I started almost immediately when I when I met with Twelve last May, and my deadline was January fifteenth. Wow. And it was a. I was very naive about the time element. Mm-hmm really naive. I, I wrote a lot of it in Ocean City Coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, I would get up before dawn every when we were here last summer, rode my bike down there, rode until about 9.30 every morning, then came back and was dad. Um, and then I thought, oh, I'll, I won't have to worry about being a present father or husband on airplanes and in hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. But when you have covered a college football weekend... The last thing you want to do is go to your hotel room and write. Right. You just want a cold one and to laugh with your buddies a little bit, eat a meal, and get on the pillow. Exactly. But I somehow managed to do it. Um, That last week, I still had quite a bit to write. And so what I did was I came home from the national championship in Santa Clara, California, immediately packed a bag, flew to New York, and spent about five days holed up in the publisher's office pounding on those keys but i mean i'm not kidding you 5 30 on january 15th was when i needed to have that thing in and it was 5 30 on january 15th when i said <laughs> i don't know if this is done i hope it's here it's yours and wow yeah what? i'm gonna want lines back that's, i know it that's but. amazing though wow and what, like, how did that make you feel that Eric Church wrote the forward? I mean, that's like your best friend. And my best friend, I was here. So he called me about something else, which we won't get into. Okay. <laughs> um, he needed my opinion and my perspective on something. And we probably talked about that for 90 minutes. Hmm. Which he, you get Eric Church on the on phone for 90 seconds, it's a miracle. <laughs> we were on the phone for 90 minutes. And so I said, hey, man, before you go, i got something else I want to talk to you about. I hate to bother you with it. I know you're busy. I said, but I'm writing my first book. And he goes, it's about fucking time. <laughs> he thinks, the truth told, he thinks I'm wasting my time doing anything but writing. He's always been such a big fan of how I write and paint the way I kind of paint pictures and mm-hmm. words. And, and he's a writer. It's what he does. So we have that that mutual energy exchange and kinship and I said I'd really be honored I don't think this would be I don't think this would be complete the way I need it to be complete if if you don't write my forward he goes it'd be the joy and pleasure of my life wow it'd be the joy of my life that you would pick me to do that and I will tell you it showed up near deadline because it's Eric. <laughs> I hate because I was kind of badgering him. Hey, bro, uh, I kind of ha- got to have this thing in. He goes, okay, okay. When do, when does it need to be in? He's being like two hours from now? Yeah. No. So 
I'm sitting at our island in Charlotte, and he texted me, hey, I sent it, I emailed it. And two other people had read it before he sent it. The two most trusted confidants in his life, his wife, Catherine, and his manager, John Peets. And so I'm sitting at the island. I get my computer. Laney's sitting right here. And I'm sitting there reading it like this. And I... I, I'm, I can feel myself. Mm-hmm. She's capturing it on her phone. She took video of it. And I will tell you guys, it's it's the single... Hey, Bubba. It's my son, Cameron, guys. Hiya. 13. <laughs> it, it made me belly laugh and ugly cry. And it's the single, it's the single kindest thing I've ever read. Um, for about, in terms of like your impact on somebody, because he's a real hard ass, or he plays one for a living. Like he doesn't suffer fools. He takes no no crap. He's made. He's taught me so much because he taught me that my passion is okay. He taught me that my way is okay. Even when the bosses tell you something, if you believe it, do it. And for him to write what he wrote about me, it was... I can't wait for y'all to see it. I want to talk about it so much, but I want y'all to have to read it. Exactly. It's awesome. Wow. And it just means the world to me. It means the world to me that he take the time to do it. And it's funny because I don't think his influence is so dramatic. Like Greg Sankey, mm-hmm. he's, the, he's the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference. And I gave Greg an, I gave Greg the very first copy, first one I'd ever held in my hands. Wow. He was, I, we, we, McGee and I were interviewing him, and he's like, I want one of those. And I was like, he goes, but you got to sign it. So I sat down right there, and I'm like, this is like handing you my first child. Uh, but he wrote on the internet. He said that how great the book was, and he said Eric Church wrote the greatest forward I've read in years, and he's right. Wow. So yeah, I could talk for days about him. Well, one of the, well, one of the things I was struck by was I was researching and getting everything together, and I was like, wait, all these people are on Twitter talking about how you FaceTime them and left them messages for pre-ordering the book, and it's yes. like scads I of just comments. I have fifty-two people left to do. I still have fifty-two people to call. I um, so we were trying to figure out a way. I felt bad that the people that had pre-ordered, some of the people that pre-ordered the book, mm-hmm. I was like, how can I make this personal? Yeah. They're investing in me. And I saw that Kurt Busch, one of the NASCAR drivers, had FaceTime some of his fan club. And I was like, you know what? Let's try that. I figured it'd be 10 people. Right. Marty will call you or FaceTime you if you pre-order his book. It was a lot more than 10 people. Mm-hmm. And to see the reactions of the people... One young lady called me and said, you are all the time talking about how many people give you that that passion, that, that, that give you this life direction to help you stay, have that perspective and stay focused. She goes, you're that person for me. Mm-hmm. And she's like, in tears. And you just go, what? She goes, I can't wait to have the book. And so... It's been very fulfilling for me as well. Um, very fulfilling. And they're so appreciative. Mm-hmm. Just the comments. Some of them were like, we were in the middle of an office meeting, and yeah. I just gave Dude it up. Dude running out of his <laughs> office. So he's like, I'm sorry, man. I, like, one guy worked in the Library of Congress. One guy worked in. He's like, your book's going to be in here, man. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like, just unbelievable. Uh, one guy was like, uh, I forget what branch he worked for. There was one guy who was a Missouri State Trooper, a detective with the Missouri, Mm -hmm. and he's like, hold on. He pulls over and he's like, we love you, man. And I was like, thanks, dude. He said, I can't wait to have that book in my He's like, I can't believe believe you're doing this. Mm -hmm. He's like, can I take a, can I get a picture? I'm like, yeah, dude, I'll even smile. (laughs) So, yeah, it 
I still have some people to contact, and I will. I'll get to them. But uh, one of them was my high school football teammate. Aww. We were defensive backs in a long time ago. We won a state championship together, and he was in the gym working out. I was in the Birmingham airport waiting on a plane that got canceled. And his name is Bucky Burton. That's a Giles County name <laughs> if you ever heard one. So Bucky hands, he's like got sweating or whatever. He's like, you got me right in the middle of my workout. I said, what's your head get so big? Look at the size of your head, man. He's like, yeah, hey, hey, it did get big, didn't it? Anyway, all my buddies back home think I lost my accent. That's how thick. Wow. Wow. Do you foresee writing another book? Um, that's up to the publisher. Mm-hmm. If, um, if I am afforded that opportunity... Hell yes. Wow. Because I didn't get to, I didn't get to, there are 25 chapters in this book, and there are at least 20, I'll say 15. There are at least 15 stories that I didn't even get to that are vulnerable. And um, I talked to Paul George about what it was like when he broke his leg in half uh, and the way that he felt and and what that was like seeing his teammates react mm-hmm. and the vulnerability and how stripped he was. Yeah. I talked to Anthony Davis about what we weren't... I was surprised he went down this road, but it was in the middle of when Black Lives Matter was so such a, a movement in this country mm-hmm. and Anthony we, we kind of brought up race and here I am having this great conversation of depth with this gentleman who grew up in Chicago right mm-hmm. African American a, a, a face for those other young men growing up in that yeah. neighborhood I, if he he got out yeah, I can do this mm-hmm. and being interviewed by a 40 year old white man from a rural Appalachian town mm-hmm. and and how we're connecting yeah. and how what an example we can be together um, it was a fantastic it was such a wonderful conversation mm-hmm. um, so stuff like that the, like great conversations like that that aren't even in this book you're like yeah so there could be a second one with all yes. that yes wow yes and um I hope I get that chance. I hope this book is is received well enough that I get that chance. I'd be I'd be honored. Well, as someone who travels as much as you do, what are three items in your carry-on that like make you feel like a sense of home, comfort? Everything's a carry-on. I don't check bags, won't check bags. Oh, I don't check bags either. But so what are three items that those are like your go-tos? Okay. Three items that are go-to. Um bows. Q35 noise canceling headphones are like my lifeblood because I'm such a music guy. Mm -hmm. Costa Del Mar is my sun, they're my my sunglass guys. Mm -hmm. I always have sunglasses with me um, because of that injured eye. Like, yeah, it's I like having it covered. Um, and either Jordan 1s, 3s, 4s, or 11s. Wow. Yep. Uh, I do not travel without at least one pair of Jordans, ever. Sneaker duffel is going to work very well. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. (laughs) That's one thing that, like, ESPN watchers kind of know me for is my sneaker game. Mm -hmm. I went through Twitter and I was like, yep. Okay. I am... So when I was growing up, Again, my dad never in a million years would have been like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll pay $140 for those shoes. Hell no. So when I was in eighth grade, maybe ninth, I think eighth grade, I saved up enough money from throwing hay bales in the summer mm-hmm. to buy my first pair of jades. They were, they were fives. And the original pair of fives... I don't have any fives here in Ocean City, or I would show you what I'm talking about. The original fives had clear bottoms. Oh. 
soles. Mm-hmm. And on and the clear bottoms had the jump man in the ball of the foot. Mm-hmm. And if you wore them outside, they would soil to this amber color. And I was not about to let that happen. I would carry my J's to school and put them on when I got there. And so I've never lost that. If you guys have any idea how neurotic I am... Why do you you think when I put the shoes in the bag? Because I knew. I knew. I was like, these are clean. (laughs) All of my shoes are that way. I'm a a J's guy, and I love Air Max 90s, the original Air Max. And I am crazy about... This dude's. Uh, I'm crazy mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Crazy, man. <laughs> so, anyway. Wow. I would say those three things. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, like suits. I'm at my company in my in my job. We we suit suit guys and. Your suit game is pretty snappy. Yeah, I mm-hmm. know. Well, how do you take time for yourself? Just to decompress from all the different stuff that you do, and water. Um, I grew up on a farm. I still own hundreds of acres in Southwest Virginia that is still farmed. Mm. Um, but I, when I was a little boy, I always was captivated by the beach. So mm-hmm. we bought here mm-hmm. five years ago, I think. My brother-in-law and I, our families bought this this home, mm-hmm. and. Last year, one year ago, last July, Laney and I bought a home on Lake Norman in Charlotte. Mm. So that's where we live full time. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows me to really reflect. It allows me to be vulnerable. Like it allows me to kind of consider who I want to be. Mm-hmm. It also allows my children to get away from this. It allows me to get away from this. It allows me to get away from everything. Yeah. And be a dad that's creating memories mm-hmm. and uh, that's so important to me to be a present father and a present husband when I'm not on the road I'm here mm-hmm. and I try very very hard it's hard it's yeah. hard for any driven professional but I do I do my dead level best to demand that of myself mm. and last night we sat on the beach. I did not have my phone other than to play music on a Bluetooth right. speaker from 3 o'clock in the afternoon until... When did I text you? 10, 10 o'clock at night. Wow. I had... I bet I had 50 or 60 text messages. hmm I currently on my phone... Hold on. I need to see something. I currently on my phone... Don't judge me. You promise? I won't judge you. I have 193 unread text messages. Wow. 193. Wow. Wow. I can't even. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. So, um, when I'm here. Right. That's what I don't. It's on purpose. Yeah. Because tomorrow I'm going to be in Charlotte for, for our college football seminar for the next two days. The day after that, I have to shoot something for Marty and McGee all day at SEC Network. The day after that, I'm in Clemson, South Carolina all day mm. covering the first practice for the Tigers. Yeah. Yeah. And we're kicking off August 24th. And I got a book coming out. Yeah. So. That's, that's amazing. You know one thing you'll never hear? You won't hear me complain. Well, yeah. I don't do it. It's an opportunity to be able to engage in all of those different you know how ways. Many people, you know how many people would sever fingers? <laughs> I mean, to, I'm aware. I don't... I'm very protective of my time and in a demanding industry. Yeah. But I'm a grinder, man. Wow. Yeah. So when you are here in Ocean City... Where is a place that you guys, whether it's just you yourself or your family, love to go to, like, grab a meal? Kessel's Corner. Oh, okay. 28th and, 28th and Haven. Is it Haven? Lane? Asbury. What? Asbury. 20, oh, 28th and Asbury. Oh, 28th and Asbury. Nice. Kessel's Corner. We eat there. <laughs> K- 
Kessel's Corner is our spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their Express Pizza Express is right around the corner here, too. Mm. They both have grilled buffalo wraps. I, a grilled chicken, mm-hmm. buffalo. I am a buffalo sauce freak show. <laughs> I love it. I not only get the grilled buffalo wrap, I get extra buffalo on the side because mm-hmm. I dunk it in there like... Buffalo sauce is my my deal, man. And where do you work out when you're here? Local gym, nice. um, but I'm also crazy about I'm a I'm a in, kind of do it like endurance athlete, uh, mm-hmm. endurance endurance sports all the time. Yep. I was supposed to run the New York City Triathlon, but they canceled it. The mayor because with that heat it. index a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness he did. It was like one eleven or one twelve heat index. One fifteen. One fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was going to do the running portion. I was going to be part of a trio. Mm. It's called, um, it's called, uh, uh, it's CAF, Challenged Athletes Foundation. Bob Babbitt, one of the godfathers of triathlon in this country, asked me to participate. There was going to be a double amputee as our swimmer, Mm. a world class cyclist as our cyclist, and then I was going to do the run in Central Park. And but it got canceled. Um, wow. So anyway, I run the boardwalk all the time. Wow. It's five miles, two and a half miles each way. Wow! And I do it all the time. And where do you go shopping here? Uh, where do we go shopping here, Mom? For what? For what? Clothes. It could be clothes, food. Uh, we don't have to do any clothes. Laney gets on the internet. <laughs> I love this answer because most people say this. <laughs> look at the, look over there in the corner. That's- she. She bought all our school supplies from Target, and there's like 10 boxes sitting over there. Sometimes they send a binder, and it's like a huge box. We buy at a surf supply. Oh, we do. That's right. 7th Street Surf Shop, Heritage Surf Shop. We love all those. Yeah, Heritage Heritage Surf Shop is a big one. (laughs) Surfer Supply is a big one. 7th Street Surf Shop. I love surfer, like, I love surf t-shirts and and all that stuff. I just, I go in there and look around forever because I just think the stuff's so cool. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, big brim hats. You know those big brim hats because I'm super pale. I wear those on the beach. We're all about tribals, people that inspire you, whether it's in your career or just people that you know. Who are three people that that's for you? Like, those are those people that really do the inspiration for you. Oh, man. Uh, well, that's one I will say not to go back to the book and be overwhelming about that. But it's one reason I wanted to write it. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to champion those people. And I will say... Um, Definitely my parents, if I can if I can say both of them mm-hmm. as one answer. Absolutely. Uh, my parents, I'm so fortunate. I'm that guy who's angel on one shoulder, devil on the other. Mm-hmm. Because my mama was an angel and my daddy battled demons. And I got both of them. I got both of them inside me. Um, I am so fortunate that I had them. They were present for every like game I ever played. They were very demanding. I was one of those guys who, if I wasn't on the honor roll, I didn't play kind of deal. I'm so thankful for that. I got spanked if I did wrong. I got whooped. I mean, there wasn't no timeouts. Yep. And so I'm thankful for that. I grew up that. the same way. I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Um, so definitely my parents. Um, everything I said about Eric mm-hmm. applies right here. I assumed it. It's because he, he just... He showed me through our friendship and through his approach to be absolutely unmitigated in who you are. And it's okay to be passionate Mm -hmm. about it. And it's okay to reach through that camera lens. And like when I was covering NASCAR, I knew working at ESPN... And on a Saturday morning sports center in the fall, when people are ready to watch college football, mm-hmm. I was going to, you may not be interested in NASCAR, but damn it, you're going to listen to me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hit, for that two minutes, you're going to be in with me. Yeah. Because of how much I want love it. Mm-hmm. And he really helped me realize that's okay. So I would definitely say him. And, I mean... My wife. Mm-hmm. I assume that was in there, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's... Vivi's mama is such a special... 
person. She's selfless and graceful. She don't take no crap. She's my single greatest sounding board because she will tell me the truth all the time. Um, that's why I'm, I'm like, she is reading the book for the first time. Wow. She is. And I, I wondered what would happen if I ran it by her first. Right. Because she might be like, I, I don't like, I think this is not right. I think you should read. But I just felt like I'm going to do this. Um, there are, there are certain times when I will do something on television when she thinks it's too, I've gone too far over the line with, um, and a a movement we're doing, or I I, I did a backflip off the 10 meter high dive at the University of Miami once because Mark Rick, former head coach, starts camp that way every fall. His best buddy in college at the University of Miami was Greg Luganis, Mm -hmm. the Olympic diver. So he would just, like, try dives. Well, I thought, oh, I'm going to cover Miami and, and Notre Dame. Let's do a backflip off the high dive. Stupid. Yeah. She answers the phone. <laughs> like, she's so all in. Mm-hmm. No matter, like, she is all in. Oh, you're going to Iceland? You're going to fly in a helicopter 15 feet over the city in a windstorm? Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're going to China when it's 109 degrees to hang out with Ronaldo in Beijing, whatever? Oh, that's cool. I did a backflip off the 10-meter high dive. She answered the phone. Mm-hmm. She's like, you got other people to think about, man. Yeah. And she's right. Um, she's always, like, so astute. I'll have an idea, and she'll be like, you know, I think maybe you should consider maybe going, doing it this way. I see where your heart is, and I'm so appreciative of that. Mm-hmm. She also made me more selfless. Because our job is a very self-absorbed one. Mm-hmm. We are we are self-absorbed beings by nature, and in a lot of ways, you have to be in our like in our business. You, you it's important that you're self-confident. Mm-hmm. But I want to be self-confident and thereby humble versus insecure and thereby cocky. Yeah. I think they I think those two things walk hand in hand and mm-hmm. she's really helped me learn that. I know that you're energized from the insights on today's episode of Tribe Goals. Tribe Goals is a member of the multimedia podcast network Athleisure Studio, part of Athleisure Media and Athleisure Mag. Make sure to follow us and to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Himalaya, and Stitcher Premium. Visit us at athleisurestudio.com backslash tribe goals and follow us on Instagram at tribe.goals to see new episodes of Tribe Goals, as well as to see what other shows we have launched throughout our network. Tribe Goals is hosted by me, Kimmy Smith, and is executive produced by Paul Farkas and myself. Our theme music, Rough and Deep, is performed by Juggling. I'll be back with our next Tribe Goals guest.